Good morning, everybody. Acts chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. If you don't, as always, that's okay. The words will be on the screen behind me so that you can kind of follow along as we walk through the story today. Today we're continuing our focus series where we are taking a look at what we walked through during summer camp. Um, But we're kind of taking a different direction each week and kind of looking through different ideas because what we kind of came to this consensus of was after camp we saw a lot of lives changed and we felt like this topic of focusing on Jesus, staying focused on Jesus, sorry, excuse me, was so important. As the school years are beginning, as you are walking back into these schools, as you are living out your faith, keeping your eyes on Jesus is going to be so crucial for you. It is going to offer you opportunities this semester to share the gospel with others, to share Jesus, to just show how you are a believer to those around you. And so what we want to do, like I said, is we want to kind of walk back through this series focus and talk about different topics, some different than what we talked about at camp, and so we can learn what it means to stay focused on Jesus. And if you weren't there, the theme verse for the week was Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, which says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin that hinders us. Let us run the race with endurance, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. And so far we have looked at two different stories that showed us kind of what it means to stay focused on Jesus, keep our eyes on Jesus. But today I kind of wanted to step back and take a slightly different direction. See, we don't know who wrote this book of Hebrews, right? We really actually don't know much about the audience to which it was written. But one thing we do know is what was happening to them. We do know that this audience was a group of Jewish believers who knew the Old Testament. They knew the Torah, the first five books of the Bible we hold today. They, they understood these things, but they were still struggling with persecution, They were still going through hardship, and they needed reminders of why it is worth enduring these things. And see, so our author, which again we don't know, is writing to these Jewish people as an encouragement to look to Jesus, who is greater than the angels, who is greater than all these prophets that the Old Testament talks about. And when we do that, when they do that, he says, We can endure whatever comes our way by keeping your focus on Jesus. So today, I want to go and look to the book of Acts and give you some encouragement like the author of Hebrews was doing. I want to show you that when we keep focused on Jesus, bad things in life don't really seem so bad. A story that really encouraged me that I think goes along well with this topic is someone that I met at summer camp this year and last year. Um, His name was David Walker. If you went there, that name might sound familiar to you. He is living out his life now for Christ. He has put his yes on the table, and God has put it on the map to go overseas with the IMB and spend the next two years as a missionary. But there's another story of David Walker that I love that I got to hear this week. And that's his story of as a freshman, as a first year at Liberty University, he found out 
he had a tumor the size of a volleyball inside of him that was growing and attached and squishing organs and up against his spine that would maybe cause him never to be able to walk again. Can you imagine going into your freshman year of college thinking, man, this is so exciting. I'm going to have a great time. I'm going to make friends. I'm going to follow Jesus. You have a great first semester. You're building relationships. And then two weeks into your second semester, you start having pains. And it says, David says that he was in class and he had to go to the, room, the uh, doctor on campus. And they said, like, man, Dave, we need to get you to the emergency room ASAP and get some scans because I'm concerned for what this is. Those scans came to find out it was the tumor and that he had to fly to California back home immediately to be put into the ER to have this surgery as soon as possible or else, like we said, he may never walk again and potentially lose his life. David, though, has such an amazing outlook as a freshman, a first year at Liberty, and he says that the Bible talks about peace, right? He says that there's peace that surpasses all understanding and that you don't really know you have that peace until a challenging situation tests your faith. And he says, I gave it all to God. I couldn't have been that calm, but it was all God. 24 hours later, he would go into the room. They found the tumor, like I said, wedged between organs, and it was causing potentially him to become paralyzed. And he was only 18 years old. And his parents started questioning things like, God, why would you allow this to happen to our son? Like the questions we all would go through in this season, right? But this is what the family said. The mother said, our family became strong because of this experience. So following the surgery, he woke up and now, look, like I said, he is living his life for the Lord He is going across the country to share the gospel, to share the good news, because why? He stayed focused on Jesus, and that hardship didn't seem so bad anymore. And so today, that's kind of what I want to do with you guys today. I would like to help you see that, just like David Walker, we can have hope in our hardship because we can keep our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and through that, have that hope. And so... We're going to read, I said, Acts chapter 5, but first I want to give you a little recap in case uh, you're not familiar. Um, So Acts chapter 5 follows kind of the story of Peter and the apostles, and if you're not sure who Peter is and kind of leading up to this, Peter believed that Jesus was Lord. He professed him as the son of the living God. He was brave enough to walk on water, albeit that he fell later. He proclaimed that he would never leave Jesus' side no matter what happened to him, but later he would run away. He would deny Jesus three times, he would become a coward, and he would run back to the life that he knew of fishing. There, Jesus would restore him, as we like to say, back into the work of the ministry. Peter would go from a coward to being brave when he pointed the finger at the Jewish religious leaders earlier in the book of Acts, telling them that they are the ones that crucified Jesus Christ on the cross. And now we find him here again. People are being healed by the masses. Things are happening, and the religious leaders are upset. They, are, they throw them in jail for teaching about Jesus as God. And God releases them from this prison, and they go back in and teach in the crowds. And then the religious leaders gather them back to the courtroom again, and this is where we pick up in verse 27. It's on the, on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bible. Verse 27. And it says that the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin, 
the courts to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as the prince and the savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and they wanted to put them to death. I'm going to give a little, sorry, a little recap here, uh, a little condensed version. Basically, a man named Gamiel steps up and says, whoa, 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 y'all, y'all, y'all. Let's, let's not kill them. Like, let's step back. Let's think, think about what you're going to do. And he walks through explanations of how big leaders in our time, in their time before, had risen up in revolutions, and when the leaders died, that they disappeared, and then another one he talked about risen up and died, and then the groups and following disappeared. And he says, if this is not true, if what these people are saying about this Jesus is not true, they're going to disappear eventually. They're going to fade away. They'll be fine. Let's just wait them out. Because he says in verse 39, but if it is from God you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Verse 40, his speech persuaded them and they called the disciples, apostles back in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been, count, listen, counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus as the Messiah. What a passage. <laughs> can you imagine, can you, can you wrap your head around the, what this experience must have been like? Let's think about it. Jesus, uh, we just saw all that Peter did, and he might have had a good following Jesus, but then he kind of, you know, denied him three times, cursed him, and then went back to fishing. And, but Jesus restored him and it gave him this new, this renewed sense of boldness to proclaim him everywhere he went. And like I said, this is the second time, this passage is the second time that, Jesus, that Peter has now been brought before a religious court saying, hey, stop teaching Jesus. And he's like, no, nah, I'm good, I can't. And so both times, he very clearly states to these leaders that Jesus was the son of God. And, but this time, however, unlike the last time, his proclamation has consequences. It says something interesting. Basically, this nobleman named Gamiel stands up and tells them, hey, let's not kill them. So they have them flogged. Now, maybe that's better than death, but it still doesn't seem like a great option. Like, uh, if I'm being honest, if I have my top list of 20 things I'd like to be punished by, being flogged would be far away from that list. I'll take the belt, I'll take the spoon, I'll take the grounding, the no phone, the no social media, I'll take all that before I take a flogging. That's because, if you aren't aware, this was an extremely painful thing they did. To be flogged meant you were beaten with rods, you were bloodied and you were battered, and you were sent on your way, barely alive, essentially. It's a high possibility that Peter and his companions could literally see things under their skin now. Let's put it that way. But the crazier thing done, it says that they rejoiced at being counted worthy 
to partake in the sufferings of Christ. I don't know about you, and I've never been flawed before. I don't think you have either. Don't really want to. But I don't think joy is the thing that I would say happens after that. But again, just me. And so Peter and his fellow apostles have now been accused falsely. They have been threatened with death. They've been in jail, threatened with death, and then flogged. Yet they stood with bravery and said, do what you think is right. As for us, we cannot help but speak of the things of Jesus Christ. And they walked away joyful. Joyful. Why? Because I believe that when we focus on Jesus, we can have hope through hardship. When we focus on Jesus, we can have hope through hardship hardship. Can you imagine what it would have been like going through your head in that moment? See, growing up, I always was given this absurd scenario, right? That I thought, this is ridiculous. This is never going to happen. It's like, what if you're in school or you're at the library or you're in a restaurant and someone walks in and points a gun at your head and says, hey, if you say you follow Jesus and love him, I'm going to shoot you right now. And I'm like, that would never happen. But that's literally what happened to Peter, right? Like, that's literally what is happening here. They're saying, hey, if you don't stop saying you follow Jesus, if you don't stop teaching about him, we're going to kill you. Like, I used to think that was such an absurd, unrealistic reality growing up. But now I read this passage, I'm like, no, that's true. Like, that's what's happening. And what's crazy to think is this was no strange arrangement for this time. People walked about, and their first inclination when speaking against their beliefs was to kill them. Look at the woman caught in adultery. They dragged her out to the streets and tried to stone her. Look at Jesus. They crucified him. Look at Peter and the apostles. They tried to kill them. They had them flogged. They had them beaten. Can you imagine that feeling of wondering when the next death threat could come just because you're talking about Jesus? We have it kind of easy, don't we? Like, sure, maybe talking openly about your faith is going to cost you some friends. Maybe it's going to cost you some popularity. Maybe it's going to cost you, you know, a job. And those are real. Don't get me wrong. Those are real fears. Don't think that I'm saying, oh, well, at least you're not threatened with death, so you should just stop worrying. No, like, they are real. But I think when we weigh the circumstance and realize that if these apostles who were threatened with death can still have joy despite them, so can we. Again, like I said, I'm not saying they're not real. It's real but we are definitely not on that level. And so if they can have that joy, shouldn't we be able to also? There's a man that you might know by the name of Job. He sets a great example of this mindset in his autobiography that we like to call Job. And in this book about his life, or more accurately, maybe it can be described as a book where Satan tried to go up against God twice and lost both times. So if you want a little encouragement that Satan can't do anything to you that God doesn't allow, then go read the book of Job and you'll see. But see, so Satan walks up to God and says, hey, I see Job. And God's like, yeah, you see Job? He's my faithful servant, better than anybody. And Satan's like, yeah, it's because you look at him. He's rich. He has beautiful daughters. He has handsome sons. He has land. He has cattle. He has money. He has food. He has wine. He has everything. Take that away, and I bet he won't worship you anymore. He'll curse you. God said, all right, go for it. So Satan wipes him clean destroys his land, kills his um, servants, all of his family is dead, cattle taken, riches plundered, and yet Job still worships God. So Satan walks back to God. Hey, God, okay, okay, look. 
it's, it's his health. If you take his health away too, then he'll definitely curse you. And God's like, all right, you can touch him. Just don't kill him. When you read the book of Job, the descriptions that we are told, I would almost think that Job might have just wished he was dead. But he says this nonetheless. The opposite is what he says. Actually, he says, shall we take good from God and not trouble? And all this, it says, Job did not sin in what he said. This is the man I want to be. This is the person you should strive to be. That the more you lose, the more you worship God. Because the more you lose in this life, the more of a treasure he becomes to you in that moment. The more you lose, the more you worship. Before this, Job even says this, he goes as far to say is that the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. What a story. What a man. What a testimony. Job had it right. David Walker had it right. Peter and the apostles had it right. Yeah, we're going to experience hardship. We're going to experience suffering. But we have to walk through every hardship staying focused on Jesus because only then can we have true hope to see us through to the end for God's glory? And maybe you're here today and you're just like, Josh, I'm still not sure how to do this. I get it. I know up here, I know in my head that I'm supposed to have hope in Jesus and that will get me through hardship. But I'm, I'm struggling here. I'm, I'm in something today and my heart just can't take it anymore. I need help to know what I'm supposed to do. And so that's the one, I have two applications for you today. And the first one is this. When you experience hardship, remember God has a plan. Yeah, you've probably heard that before, right? Yeah, Josh, I hear that all the time. Just trust God. He's got it. He's going to see you through it. Yeah, we hear that all the time. But I want to remind you, trust God has a plan for you. That's what Job knew. That's what Peter knew, and that's what every apostle who has ever been martyred for their faith knew. They knew that there was a plan in place. See, a part of David Walker's story that I want to share, too, is that his parents were actually in the midst of a divorce. Their marriage was crumbling. They were falling to pieces. Siblings weren't talking. And through this, the mom admits that God met our family and healed us. So yes, they healed David Walker. He's walking again. The tumor is gone, but God did something bigger through that. God met and healed our family through this. I don't think that's what David Walker and his family were thinking as he's sitting on the hospital bed being told you'll be dead in two days. But God had a plan, right? God always has a plan for your hardship. Don't ever believe differently. The biggest plan that I always have to remember that God had and still has today is what we call the gospel. See, God loved us so much that from the beginning of time, when sin entered the world, God had a plan to save us. 
He said, I'm going to send you a savior. He is going to live the life you could never live, the perfect, sinless life you could never live. He is going to die the death you deserved on the cross. And then three days later, he will rise again from the grave. He will conquer sin and death. And he will offer you salvation from your sins if only you simply confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord. It's all it takes. It is a free gift. Nothing you could do except accepting it. It's all you have to do. God has always had a plan. He always will have a plan. He would never stop having a plan. Your hardship is not for nothing. You can have hope through it because of God's love for us. And one day, if you simply accept that, if you simply say that, Jesus, you are Lord and Savior of my life, you're going to get to go to heaven one day. You're going to spend eternity with Jesus and God. You're going to say, you're going to see Paul. You're going to see Peter. You're going to see the apostles. You're going to see Jesus. You're going to see every single person who accepted him as Lord and Savior, no matter what hardship they went through, they're in heaven today or when you get there. And you're going to get to share stories. You're going to get to hear Peter talking about, hey, remember that time that, man, we got beaten with rods and I still walked out? Man, I remember that. We're going to get to share stories with each other of how we faithfully walked with Jesus despite what we were going through. You're going to get to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. What better promise and plan is there than that? The second thing I have for you is this. When you experience hardship, stand firm. Yes, I know firm is a different font size. Don't don't go at me. There's a purpose. A pastor shared this acronym with me, F-I-R-M. And so when you experience hardship, stand firm. And I want to share it with you because I believe There's something so great here that we see in the life of Job, that we see Peter and the apostles, that we see whenever we experience hardship, there's four things we can do. And the first is this, fall into worship. It says that for Job, it says that whenever he lost everything, he ripped his clothes, he fell to the ground. That's how they mourned. And he worshiped God. He didn't curse him. He didn't doubt him. He didn't question him. He first worshiped him. The second thing to do is identify good. We can, like I said, remember that we have hope through hardship because of what Jesus has already done on the cross and what he will continue to do through our lives and what he will continue to do through us if we let him. Identify good. You're going to be going through life and hardship is going to happen, but I promise you there is always something good at work. I started this thing where during my quiet time in the mornings, So I read scripture, you know, I do all these things. But I take a note card. And every single day, I write down three things that I'm thankful for, that I'm joyful for, that I'm happy for. Sometimes it's like deep, like, oh, man, thank you for this great conversation I had where I really felt encouraged. But sometimes it's like, man, thank you, God, that I have a house. Man, I hate this rainy weather. I can't wait for it to be gone, but at least I have a house. Man, God, I really, really, really hate the gas prices, but at least I have a car and don't have to walk everywhere, Right? There is always something good to identify in your hardships. The third thing is there, resist sin. Above all else, make sure you resist sin. 
don't fall into the temptation that God doesn't love you or that God is doing this because he hates you. God is crazy about you. He wants to see you through this hardship for a purpose. Resist falling into sin. And lastly, maintain hope. F-I-R-M, maintain hope. Look to that promise I just shared about. Look to the day that you get to go to heaven. You get to hear, well done, that good and faithful servant. You get to see the apostles. You get to see Paul. You get to see Peter. You get to see Jesus. You get to live a life where there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more hardship. Maintain hope for that day. There will be a day where there's no more suffering. We are just called to persevere until that day. And so I end today with a question. Are you finding yourself, like the audience of Hebrews, struggling through something? You find yourself in the midst of a hardship? Then I want to remind you today that when you stay focused on Jesus, you can have hope through your hardship. Let's pray.